Welcome to the Heartbeat Church Podcast. Our vision is for people to live in the image God intended them to be in. For more information visit heartbeatchurch.org.au According to Pope Gregory, pride is the deadliest of the seven sins. But perhaps greed is a sin that is deadlier. As Nardos has read to us from 1 Timothy, Paul told us that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Wealth, like all of God's good gifts, is meant to be enjoyed. But unfortunately, sin, as it does to everything on this world, has destroyed God's good gift of wealth. So instead of worshipping the Creator who graciously gives us everything we have, we flip it on its head and we start to worship the creation. We worship wealth itself. And most people will recognize that the worship of money is wrong. Most people, if you ask them if, if greed is something that is not a desirable trait, people will agree with that. The Apostle Paul says, Greed is the reason for the number of the many injustices that face our world around us. All you have to do is look at the news. CEOs, executives, bankers, politicians, businessmen, shareholders, and workers, in their quest for wealth, will go to any lengths necessary to gain a better turnover. And all throughout history, wealth has been the, the, the underlying cause for so many issues. From the slaves in America to James Hardy in Australia with asbestos, to the Pacific Gas and Electrical Company that covered up polluting drinking, the pollution of drinking water, to the treatment of Nike sweatshop workers, to the contentious issue over the Adani mining scheme, and obviously the damning Royal Commission. At the core of it, it is the love of money. Now, it's interesting, Paul notes that it's not money itself that's the root of evil. It is the love of money. In his commentary on greed, Pope Gregory said, The one trying to acquire wealth quickly neglects to avoid sin. He becomes like a captured bird, because as he looks greedily upon the bait of earthly things... He does not perceive that he steps into the noose of sin. Now, despite most people recognizing the negative consequences of grief or greed, most people themselves actually would not recognize greed within their own lives. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Pastor Timothy Keller shares the time when he preached the seven deadly sins. And when he came to greed, his wife, Kathy, said that I bet that this will be the week where you have the lowest attendance. And she was right. Keller says, everyone came to his sessions on lust or wrath, but even for pride. But no one came along 
to his session on greed. For nobody thinks that they are greedy. And in his famous painting of the seven deadly sins, Horonius Bosch depicts greed in this scene here, where a corrupt judge is listening to the case of one of the plaintiffs. But behind him we see his hand is out, accepting the bribe of another party in the court case. And it's a typical image of a greedy person, someone who is sly and sinister, someone who is crooked, that Ebenezer Scrooge type, that all they want to do is just get wealth, just to fill their money bags full of gold. And while all of us here would affirm that family and friends are more important than wealth, and we acknowledge the old adage that money cannot buy happiness, but deep down Within us, we know that money, that wealth, that possessions provides security. And I don't know any person on the face of this earth who does not value security within their life. In this quest for security, in this quest for wealth, it might not look like this image depicted by Heronius Bosch. It might not be the Ebenezer Scrooge type of greedy person. But all of us have areas in our life where we are greedy. And the litmus test comes from the words of Jesus Christ. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as Christians, how are we meant to deal with wealth? Some say that we should give away all our wealth and live in abject poverty. Some say that wealth is a sign of God's ultimate blessing in our life. So what are we supposed to do with money and wealth and God? Well, the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes presents a really balanced depiction of wealth. Both books acknowledge that wealth is, is at its source comes from God. And it may be a sign of His blessings, that those who are diligent, that those who work hard will be rewarded for their efforts, that they acknowledge that wealth does bring a measure of security. But they also tell us to go back in that security. We have to remember that all that wealth comes from God. So don't be tight-fisted with your money. Be open-handed. And in terms of poverty, both books acknowledge that poverty may be the result of foolish actions. But it also acknowledge that the world is not black and white. There are some times where people are made poor because of the injustice in this world or some terrible misfortune. But they also see wealth as a trap, a trap that can actually keep people enslaved like conditions with no hope. Of escape. And in fact, in, in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, sometimes they acknowledge it's actually better to be poor than to be a greedy, rich person. So you can see in this brief snapshot of these two wisdom books, they present a multifaceted perspective on wealth, greed, and poverty. But ultimately, when it comes to wealth, it's perhaps best summarized in Proverbs 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than 
silver. I.e., the most important priority in life is to acquire the wisdom from Yahweh. And all wisdom is found in fear of the Lord. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. What matters is that you have at the foundation of your life wisdom found in the fear of the Lord. For as Proverbs 15 verse 16 states, Better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. But regardless of our material status, all of us must remember Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. As creator, God owns everything in the cosmos. But you know what's amazing? Is that even though he is creator, As Psalm 115 acknowledges, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. The earth is God's gift to humanity. All the creatures on this planet, humans have been given responsibility to care for it. All the resources, everything on this earth, we have been given. It's our gift. But it's not a gift that we can just do whatever we want with it. We cannot use this earth for exploitive gain, but we have to use it to support the life and well-being of our neighbours. In the Garden of Eden, wealth was the sign of God's blessing. In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us there that God just didn't create trees. He created many types of trees, which were not only pleasing to look at, but tasted delicious as well. For Adam and Eve, they could gather whatever they needed without any painful toil. But not only was there an abundance of food, there was literally an abundance of wealth under the earth. Genesis chapter 2 describes this giant river that flows throughout Eden. And it tells us that this river splits off into four headwaters, into this land called Havilah. And it notes there that there was gold, bedlam, or resin, and onyx. And the point of this seemingly random detail about this river that's flowing through this land of Havilah is to say that there was gold in God's presence, that there was wealth, that there is material blessing when God is about. The prophet Ezekiel later on expands this list of of the precious materials under the earth in Eden to include ruby, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, emerald, and lastly, Gold. The point of all this to say is that when one is physically close with God, there is an abundance. There is more that you could imagine that God will offer. So centuries later, when the Israelites were about to enter into the promised land, itself a new garden of Eden, it made sense that in this land there was an abundance of material wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8 outlines some of these blessings. The land had brooks, streams, springs, 
wheat, barley, vines, fig, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, bread, iron, and copper. The land had everything that they needed, more material possessions than they could ever imagine. But it comes with this warning from verse 18. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. For if you do not, then your hearts will become proud and you will forget Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt, who led you through the wilderness with all its dangers and provided manna and water. And there's this final sobering warning. But remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. The thing is, God gives you everything you need. But when you have everything that you could possibly imagine, the temptation is, is to forget completely that God has given it to you, to flip the roles, to worship wealth, to worship the creation, instead of worshiping the Creator. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, sums up these warning sections from Deuteronomy chapter 8 perfectly, where it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is Yahweh? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. Poverty and starvation were never God's intentions, but neither was relentless capitalism. The secret to a meaningful, content life is living for our daily bread. The author of Hebrews says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you had, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that is the promise for those who live for daily bread. There is contentment in life because we understand that God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. God will never not let us have, be without. See, those that pursue more than their daily bread, they may have wealth and abundance and security, but ironically, they are miserable. For the intake of goods is limitless, but the ability to enjoy them is fixed. In Herger's classic European comics, Tintin, there's one volume, The Castafiore Emerald, where the world-famous singer Bianca Castafiore comes to stay with Tintin Captain Haddock and Professor Calculus. And during her stay, her most prized possession, the Castafiore emerald is stolen. And while the thief turns out to be a simple magpie that was attracted by its emerald shine, the loss of her jewel nearly kills Castafiore. In fact, her love of her jewels is almost like worship. She worships her jewels. And this is perfectly summarized in her catchphrase, when anything goes wrong, mercy my jewels. 
And prior to her crippling, prior to the robbery, her crippling fear means that she cannot sleep. She's constantly paranoid over the well-being of her jewels. She's constantly checking the locked cupboard, the box that they're in. And while eventually the story resolves itself and the jewel is found, ironically, there's no resolution for Castafiore's character. The loss of her emerald and the life-shattering consequences it brings upon her fails to make her consider her life choices. She fails to rethink the worship of her jewels, which ironically is the greatest robbery of all. Deep down, whether people want to admit it or not, we know that money cannot bring the ultimate happiness. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 10 to 13, brings a painful reality check where the teacher says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. See, the more one gains, the more one consumes. The more you have, the more you spend. The more you have, the more you're taxed. The more you have, the more people sponge off you. The more you have, the more risk you have of being robbed. And it begins this vicious vicious cycle, which the teacher is speaking about. And wealth begins to take a life of its own. And as it begins to grow like a cancer, it spreads. And it begins to take control of the individual. And all the person can do is stand there and helplessly watch as their wealth consumes them. And this is how we know that wealth brings no happiness. For the wealthy, ironically, cannot sleep at night. For they're concerned about what happens to their wealth. And the reason why they suffer this insomnia night after night is they know that one bad investment, one robbery, one crash of the stock market, and it's gone. And like Castafiore's precious jewels, they are just that. They are precious and so easily lost. But if we live for daily bread... It's what will lead to a contentful and meaningful life. For like all gifts God has given, joy is also divinely granted. As Ecclesiastes 5, 19 says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. It's a very simple equation. Wealth times possessions times divine joy equals the ability to have joy in life. So if you seek to have a life that's merely for wealth and possessions, without divine joy, you will be miserable. 
It's like mathematics. Multiply anything by zero. The result is always zero. It does not matter if you multiply the figure by one billion, still zero. Or if you multiply the figure by one, the result is always zero. It's the curse of greed. God will grant people wealth and possessions and honor everything that their heart wants. But he does not grant them the one thing they truly want, joy in life. And we see how the zero side of the equation plays out. But it's not all doom and gloom. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, from verse 2, we're told, God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing their heart desires. But God, oh, I'm sorry, God gives some people wealth, possessions, honor, so they don't lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it had more rest than does that man, even if he lives his life a thousand times twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. And this is one of the harshest parables that the teacher gives us. Suppose a man in the ancient years, he has a hundred children, which would seem like a death sentence to most of us, a curse. But in fact, it shows that he has been abundantly blessed. Imagine if he lives not just 1,000 years, but 2,000 years. This incredibly long lifespan, but does not enjoy his life. His life is a travesty. It's injustice, for he has no meaning. It has no rest. Friends, pursue daily bread. Be open-handed with your wealth. You may not be as wealthy, but you will be joyful. The Apostle Paul stated in 1 Timothy 6.6, But godliness with content is great gain. This is the antidote to greed. It's contentment. For the person who is greedy reveals their discontent. But at a deeper level, it reveals their godlessness. It reveals where their true worship is. The creation and not the creator. See, greed at its core is idolatry. And Jesus Christ said that no one can serve two masters. Either they will hate one and love the other. For one cannot serve both God and money. And what makes greed even more sinister, for not only are you breaching the 10th commandment to not covet, You're also breaching the first commandment by putting other gods before Yahweh. Gregory Beale, he wisely notes that all humans have been created to be reflecting beings. And they will reflect whatever they are ultimately committed to, whether the true God or some other object 
in the created order. We resemble what we revere, either for ruin or restoration. See, in a world where we have jettisoned God, in order to fill the void, wealth has taken the place of God. It has been elevated to the divine status. That's called wealth, it seems, can provide everything that God is able to bring. It gives us an endless supply of goods. It does prolong our life. It gives us health. And supposedly, it enriches our lives. There's author Brian Rosner argues, the economy or wealth is the ultimate source of value. And as religion confers value on those who participate in it, not to participate in the economy is to lack any social worth. When you worship money, this is what you do. It becomes your ultimate source of value. Beyond the irony is with money, as economist Adam Smith notes, is that the money is just the money game. It's money is the way to keep score. But the real object of the game is not money. It's playing the game itself. For the true players, you could take all the trophies away and substitute plastic beads or whale's teeth. As long as there's a way to keep score, they'll play. This is evident in many of our reality TV shows where contestants are working for a prize. Ultimately, that prize is cash. But throughout the competition, they may acquire a golden Lego brick. They may acquire a red rose, the immunity necklace, the immunity pin. Objects which, divorced from that context, are utterly valueless. But in that moment, that red rose handed out on The Bachelor, the golden yellow brick handed out in Lego Masters, the necklace that's given out in Survivor, or the special pin on MasterChef, it represents power. It represents victory and status. But as I said before, you take it away from its context and it's utterly valueless. And the depressing thing about wealth is that it too becomes divorced from the context of value at the day of death. For naked we came into this world and naked we return. And in his warning on greed, Pope Gregory wrote, For while they desire to increase their property through, through avarice, greed, they become disinherited from, what, from that eternal patrimony or inheritance when they desire many things or are able to attain them. Let them hear what is written. What does a man gain if he gains the entire world? but loses his soul. It's a rather chilling warning, isn't it? It's a powerful warning to those who pursue greed. Not only is your life ultimately miserable and you cannot sleep at night, but for those who elevate wealth to the divine status, you risk losing your soul for eternity. This is why Jesus exhorted his listeners, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin cannot destroy 
and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Is it in the gift or is it in the divine giver? For followers of Jesus, regardless of how great or how small our wealth is, it is a gift from God. It is our daily bread, and that should be enough. If we have our daily bread, it is so helpful because it encourages not to deviate in forgetting God, the giver. And it also helps us not to deviate into falling into patterns of sin, in inquiring wealth through corrupt or illicit methods. As Hebrews 13.5 states, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you had. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And when Jesus Christ told his listeners on the Sermon on the Mount about wealth, what did he tell them? He says, don't worry about your life. Look at the birds, look at the grass, look at the flowers. They have everything they could possibly need. And if God's looking after these simple things in creation, will he not look after you? So friends, seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And all of these things, the things that we need for life, will be added. But in addition, will be granted eternal life. And the reason why Jesus was able to say this with such confidence and with such a profound and deep meaning. For Jesus Christ himself was also tempted with the lust of greed. To start storing up treasures on earth and not treasures in heaven. And it happened that moment in the wilderness when Satan offered the world to Jesus, when all Jesus had to do was bow down before him and worship Satan. It was the easy part. It meant that Jesus would not have to go to the cross. It meant he would not have to carry his cross daily and suffer for his father. It was the easy path, but it was not the path of daily bread. And ironically, in overcoming the greedy lust for power, Jesus Christ was granted more by his Father, kingship of the cosmos, as he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And in overcoming the temptation of the servant, Jesus now offers his followers the same rewards in the new heavens and the new earth, where believers will be given crowns, a banquet, food, clothing. We won't, be, we won't have to endure blistering heat or freezing cold conditions. We will have every imaginable blessing that God could give. It will be an inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade. And in this kingdom where we will not have to work hard for our treasure, where our treasure will not be destroyed by moths, where thieves cannot break in and steal, and destroy. Friends, this is the treasure to pursue. We need to seek it first. And all the fears we have about food, drink, wealth, status, and our need for security will be 
Thank you for listening to the Heartbeat Church podcast. For more information about services, ministries and sermons visit heartbeatchurch.org.au.